Thanks for uh, coming tonight. Uh, this is, as James mentioned, James mentioned earlier, this is our Good Friday celebration. And I realize, like James said, it's, uh, it's a very odd thing uh, to say that we're celebrating something as horrific um, as someone's death uh, upon the cross. And so we not just celebrate the death, we celebrate what that means and what that means for me, what that means for all of us. Uh, I don't know Nicodemus, uh, why he came to Jesus. Uh, I have a feeling Nicodemus was very familiar, uh, obviously, with Jesus. He had heard his teachings. He's been paying attention to what, what Jesus had been doing. And Nicodemus uh, would be a man very familiar with the scriptures. And I wonder if Nicodemus remembered Isaiah 53. And I wonder if Nicodemus had in his mind, could it be? Is this the one that God is sending? Because all of the men in the Pharisaical realm um, they want to kill him. They want to murder him. They want to get rid of him. And so Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And I say it takes great courage to come to Jesus at any point, whether in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night. And I don't honestly know what Nicodemus wanted. Uh, I don't know if he had a specific question in mind that he was going to ask Jesus, because before he could even say really much of anything, this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus, John chapter three, verse three. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that utterly confounded Nicodemus. He had no idea, and he's asking questions. How is it possibly possible for someone to be born again? Am I supposed to be back, and how does that work? And Jesus is seeking to explain, Nicodemus, this is not something that you can do. This is something that will be done for you. And in verse six of chapter three, it just says humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. With some more clarity, Nicodemus says, I don't get it. <laughs> I still don't understand. Verse, uh, chapter three, verse nine says, how are these things, how are they possible? And Jesus, in love for Nicodemus, is still working with him of trying to lead him from where he is to understand what, who God is and what God is doing. And so he tells Nicodemus uh, a story of sorts. He says towards the end of John chapter three, uh, right before the verse that we're looking at tonight, John three sixteen, he helps Nicodemus recall something that happened back in the desert centuries before with Moses. And in, this is a story in Numbers chapter 21. It says, the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. And so they say to Moses, pray that the Lord will take these snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Nicodemus, he would have known that story. It was a very familiar story of God once again rescuing his people, offering life when there was just death in light of judgment. So Nicodemus, being very familiar with that story, when he hears Jesus say this in verse 14 and 15, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake, Nicodemus, what is about to happen is likened to the story that you are very familiar with uh, back in Numbers uh, chapter uh, 21. And he says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in a, on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And you have to be... Thinking Nicodemus, his mind is clearly just churning. Is it possible that I'm speaking to him? 
Is it possible that this is the Son of Man who must be lifted up, that those who, like looking, uh, who looked to the snake, if we look to Jesus, would experience life? And then the very first person to hear what I would say is probably the most well-known, most famous, most quoted Bible verse in all of Scripture, Nicodemus hears Jesus say these words to him in verse 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. First guy to ever hear that verse. First guy to ever hear those words uh, from Jesus directly is Nicodemus. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I'll take this moment to invite you to come back on Sunday because on Sunday we're gonna talk about the last part of John 3, 16, eternal life. But tonight, I just wanted to focus on this phrase, will not perish. Just want you to see that, will not perish. Nicodemus, he would know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, he knows the law, and he was incredibly familiar with the sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system was really simple. When people sinned, when people rebelled against God, they would need to bring a sacrifice, something to stand in the place, something that would atone for their sins. I know for us in the 21st century, this seems incredibly barbaric. The sacrificial system, it just looks so bloody and so it doesn't make sense to us. But the thing I would want you to know tonight about the sacrificial system is it is an incredible picture of just how loved you are by God. Can you imagine, can you imagine if you just sinned and the punishment of sin was death, that there was no hope, there was no chance, there was no opportunity for you to, to be reconciled, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be restored. Can you imagine if just one time you sinned Big, little, anything in between. Can you imagine if God said, well, I told you not to do it, and you're done, and that's it. There is absolutely no hope for you. And so we might say barbaric, but God said, are you kidding me? This is an incredible demonstration of just how much I absolutely love you. Leviticus 17 says, I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given exchange for a life that makes purification possible. At the heart of the entire sacrificial system was atonement. And atonement just simply being made right with God. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin keeps us from God. But God said, I want I will put a system in place where you can have your sins atoned for so that you will not be separated from me both now as well as forever. Someone or something standing in our place to make us right with God. Substitutionary atonement. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before, but that's what, that's what is, is happening in the sacrificial. Someone is substituted for you standing in your place so that you can experience atonement. But here's the problem with the sacrificial system. It didn't work because men and women would continually have to sacrifice. Every time there was sin, there was sacrifice. More sin, more sacrifice. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse four, for it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. God put that system in place to point to a greater system, a greater need that would take away the sins of the world once for all time. 
I don't know if you ever asked yourself this question, but I certainly have wrestled with it. What is so good about Good Friday? Like, where is the goodness in what we call, we, you, you came to something tonight called a Good Friday service. If someone asked you, man, isn't that the kind of the time where he was beat up and spit upon and brutally murdered? Yeah, it was. And you're calling that good. Well, yeah. And you're going to go celebrate that tonight. Yeah, I guess it seems a bit odd. So why do we call what is so good about Good Friday? 1 Corinthians 15 sums it up as best as I possibly could of what is so good about what we're even doing here tonight. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was our substitute. Christ is the one on the cross who atoned. He substituted himself so that you and I would not have to pay the penalty, the consequences of our own sins. What makes Good Friday so good is that God sent his one and only son to serve as our forever perfect substitutionary atonement. So if you were wondering, or if you have people who later tonight or tomorrow this weekend will ask you, what is so good? Well, what's so good about Good Friday is that God sent his son, his one and only son, to serve as our forever perfect substitutionary atonement. Uh, John Stott, pastor, author, theologian, wrote a great book called The Cross of Christ. And he said this, the concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. John Stott wants us to understand with as much clarity as we can the important significance of substitution. For the essence of sin, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims uh, prerogatives which belong to God alone, and God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. Substitutionary atonement. That's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So when we consider the cross tonight, when we celebrate communion here in a moment, I I just want you to have that picture of the cross as he did that for you. He did that for you. Not because you deserved it, not even because you asked for it, but he did that in love for, for you, for me. Uh, John Piper, in his book, uh, Desiring God, said, God is not content to leave all people under his wrath, nor can he simply sweep sin under the rug of the universe. Therefore, his love and his justice conspire to make a way for sinners to be saved and God's justice to be vindicated. The answer is the cross. Uh, The answer is the death of Jesus Christ. See, God loved you. He loved me too much to say, I'm not gonna provide a perfect sacrifice, substitutionary atonement for you once and for all to cover past, to cover present, to cover future. God said, I love you too much. I can't sweep sin under the rug and act as if it didn't happen. It did happen. It's an incredible offense. But God says, in love for you, I sent my son. And he went to a cross to pay the penalty for all of your sins. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Nicodemus uh, really has two more appearances in uh, the New Testament. 
Uh, one in John chapter seven, and then one uh, at the death of Jesus when he comes and asks Pilate, uh, along with Joseph of Arimathea, if he can have uh, the body of Christ to bury it properly in the tomb. But in John chapter seven, Jesus is teaching uh, again, and uh, I just wanna read, I encourage you to read this in full later tonight, but John chapter seven says this in verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me, come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow uh, from his heart. And when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said he's the Messiah. And still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born in the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowds, they were divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. The Pharisees, meanwhile, prior to this, had sent the temple guards to arrest him. And this is what happens when the temple guards come back. The temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, and the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? And I love this response. We've never heard anyone speak like this. We've never heard anyone speak like this. The guards responded. And the Pharisees respond, have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who are believers in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Verse 50, the Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus he spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before given a hearing? In verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? And they began to mock Nicodemus. It's in this moment that Nicodemus, everyone's saying something about Jesus. Some saying prophet, some maybe he's a Messiah, but at the end of the day, it says the crowds were divided. The Pharisees had made their stand, but Nicodemus stands before them. And in his way, guys, what you're doing is wrong. What you are doing is wrong. And he was mocked because of it. And then the next time we see Nicodemus, it's a few weeks later when Jesus has gone to the cross and has is, is died. I wanted to finish tonight. You all have a card on your chair. I'd ask you just to pick it up now. And uh, what we wanted to do uh, with these cards, this phrase, um, will not perish, That phrase, will not perish. You should hear that and consider the cross. Because Jesus did that, you will not perish. If you look to Christ and Christ alone, not you, not self-salvation, not your own works, not your own good deeds, not anything you do, but if you look to Christ alone, what he did upon the cross for you as penalty for your sin, not his, that phrase, will not perish, applies to you. You can have confidence that you will not perish, that you will not be separated from God now or for eternity. The crowds all had something to say about Jesus. And tonight on this card, uh, we're gonna continue and we're gonna finish with some worship. We're gonna celebrate communion and at the communion tables, right behind the communion tables, there's just another table. And I want you just to place this card with something that you have written on it. For some, it might be 
something that you have to say to Jesus about Jesus. For some, it might just be as simple as thank you. But I wanted to give you the opportunity to respond to him tonight by writing to Jesus, will not perish. If that applies to you because you've looked to Christ and Christ alone, then between you and him, between you and Jesus, write something that expresses your heart of gratitude, your heart of thankfulness, that because he perished, you don't have to. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you've not made that decision, I would implore you on Good Friday to consider what Jesus did for you. And his invitation to you is come follow me. And I wanna invite you tonight to make that decision to look to Christ, what he did on the cross, and if you are in that place, simply write on your card, I will follow, I will follow.